This morning we're reading from Genesis chapter uh, chapter 22, sorry, from 1 to 19. Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Thanks, Nat. Keep that in front of you. And there's also an outline uh, printed in your, in your sheet if that helps you to listen. Uh, we set out at the back straight after Easter looking at this um, part of of um, Genesis, and we were going to get try to get to all the way to the end of the Genesis, end of Genesis, um, and Joseph and his brothers, but we haven't made it. But that's all right. We're, we're going to stop here. This is our last talk uh, in the book of Genesis for now. We'll pick that up next year and and see what happens after this. But it has been a really rich time. It's encouraging to hear Sally's reflections, and I'm sure uh, a lot of us have had yeah the similar reflections to just really be reminded of the richness of of God's promises and to really understand how his covenant with us in Christ is a foundation for all of life. So let's just ask him one more time that as we come to Genesis, that um, uh, this passage today, that he'd really give us that deep understanding and appreciation. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your word, 
your kindness, your promise, your tender care for us. Lord, thank you for the transforming power of your word. Lord, that although it deals with people in the ugliness of their sin, Lord, it's compelling in its beauty. And Lord, by it, you do transform us. So we ask that your spirit would be deeply working in our hearts as we consider your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Something happened to me a few weeks ago that I never thought would happen to me. Um, I was driving down to have a coffee at the surf club. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning and the sun was beaming through the window in my car and I looked up in the mirror for a moment and I saw in my beard a white hair. And I thought, dead set, because I'm a ranger, it would never happen. I thought if, I, if anything happens, I'll, you know, rangers don't get grey hairs. I don't think they do anyway. I thought it would just go blonde, but there it was. It, was this, it wasn't blonde, it was white. And I'm like, there you go, I'm 35, so I don't know whether that puts me ahead or behind the curve, uh, but you can ask Luke, because he's got heaps there. Anyway, um, but then I was thinking, you know, the Bible actually says a few things on this. Proverbs 16.31 says, the grey hair is a crown of splendour. And Proverbs 20.29 says, we're all royal, aren't we? Um, Proverbs 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. Oh, geez, we had this youth night on Friday night and I had to arm wrestle this 21-year-old guy. I was just like, yeah, I reckon if he just had the veins that were popping out of his muscles there to work, they would have beaten me anyway. So that's not me anymore. But it says, grey hair is the splendour of the old. And we've got this picture. We understand how this works in, in our physical life, that as we age, as we get older... Hopefully something in us develops, maybe a maturity or a wisdom. But we started with Abraham when he was already 75, didn't we? He was already an old bloke when we first read about him in the Bible. But still, after a lot of years, we've been on a journey with Abraham. These verses, from chapter 12 in Genesis 3 to where we are now, you see faith form in Abraham. I've been encouraged by the beauty of that. I've been challenged by the beauty of that. I've been challenged by the beauty of God. But you see it forming. You see it taking shape. This is what God does in people when he works in their life. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul puts it this way. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God saves us that he might transform us, that he might grow us until that day. And it hit me a few weeks ago in our community group, we were talking about all these promises and things like that, and I was like, it hit me. It's at this moment that we really, that the Bible wants us to see that, yeah, Abraham's faith is really taking shape there with his son on an altar. It's, it's an abandoned trust where all his own thought, logic, anything he might apply to it, is given over in faith. Let's just back up. We haven't looked at together at church, sorry, in church at chapters 20 and 21. I just want to highlight two things that chapter 21 tells us. 
The first one is that by this stage, Isaac has been born. Isaac has been born and it was a scene of great joy, a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness to his promise. And also by this point, chapter 1 tells us that Ishmael, Abraham's, uh, I guess, illegitimate child, the child that was born to uh, to Sarah's slave, Hagar, he's been sent away. And even in that, it's a wonderful story of God's grace and provision and care. He's sent away with God's protection. But him being sent away is actually really important to the promise because now there is no, uh, no ambiguity over whom the firstborn son is that the promise rests with. Abraham's only got Isaac there with him and it's clear now that if it's going to be fulfilled, it's going to be through Isaac. And so our reading today starts with that phrase, sometime later. You can try to work out how, how much longer it is, but I mean, Isaac's there and he's able to walk and talk and reason. So, you know, he might be 8, 9, 10, 11, who knows? You can work that out. But it really all comes down to something that seems to come from nowhere. When everything's looking set, this very, I don't know, Strange request from God. Look at verse 2. God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, there's a couple of points that I need to make. The first one is that God is not into child sacrifice. It's a strange thing that you might hear about in different cultures. It comes up very occasionally through the Bible. Where it is spoken of in the Bible, I mean, at this point it hasn't been spoken about, but when it is spoken about, it's clearly something that is abhorrent to God. It would have been present in the surrounding cultures, but even not that common. And it really, you know, it strikes us. What is God actually asking? Why would God want a child sacrificed to him? Well, it really leads us to the second point of what this actually is. Here we see what God is asking. is, is He's asking something of Abraham after 30 or more, at least 30 long years, in his very old age, to give up the one who holds this promise, this promise that's been reiterated and, and given to him and made clear to him so many times. Just think about everything that Abraham has been through. First of all, packing up and moving land, then enduring a famine, then being there where God makes this covenant with him, and then having a child with Hagar, trying to speed the whole thing up. Then there was the whole circumcision thing. And then finally, at the age of 99, having a child with his barren wife, Sarah. After all that, God wants him to use Isaac as a sacrifice. It kind of doesn't make sense until you flip the thinking, until you flip your thinking on it. Because if you do think about everything that God has been through, it's clear that this is a test. It is abundantly clear that this is a test. Why would God want to end the life of the one who holds the promise? got to be a test now can abraham see that probably couldn't but the outcome is clear from what happens next from verse three there's no hesitation 
packs up the next morning and heads off. Verse 4, it's actually three days. That's a lot of thinking time. A lot of thinking time. What is God asking me to do? Plenty of moments you'd imagine. Am I going to turn back? Am I actually going to follow through with this? Look at verse 5. He gets to a point where he leaves his servants and he says that he and Isaac were heading off to the place of worship. But look at what else he says in verse 5. This is pretty telling. Abraham says to the servants, we will come back. He doesn't say, I'll see you soon, I'll come back. We already have a clue that Abraham believes that Isaac is not going to die. Now Isaac, he's curious as to what's going on. He can, see, he can see the picture. They've got all the bits and pieces. He's counted up the rocks. He's counted up the sticks. He's counted up, you know, the, he knows where dad packed the flint. You know, they're probably chewing on trail mix all the way up the mountain. But where's the sheep, dad? That's what he says in verse 7. Where's the lamb? And Abraham, he's, he's on it again, isn't he? He doesn't know the answer to that, but what does he know? God who's asking him. And so he doesn't say, oh, it's, it's probably up there waiting for us, or we'll, we'll have to catch that. Oh, yeah, good thinking. No, he says God will provide. How is Abraham so confident of this? How? Because of everything that he's seen. This is not ugly Abraham anymore. Ugly Abraham who struggled with control that desire to be in control, that, that struggled with patience, waiting on God. Now he's Abraham who's seen God guide, who's seen God provide, who's seen God be faithful, who's seen God act justly. This is Abraham who's seen the beauty of our God. Someone I heard discussing this passage pointed out that Abraham's account begins back when he's 75, with that request or that, or that command from God to leave his old life behind and go to the place that I will send you to. To go with a new purpose. But, but really, in that, God's saying, let go of your past. Forget about it. That's not going to define you anymore. And that's how it all starts. But think about what he's saying here. As God tests him, he's kind of saying, let go of your future as well. You know everything that's wrapped up in this son of yours. Every promise of mine is wrapped up in this son of yours. Trust me with your future. And that's what Abraham's doing. This is his faith in action. See, on one hand, God has promised at painstaking lengths that his son will be the one through whom God blesses and reaches the world. And on the other hand, God is asking him to sacrifice him. What else could Abraham conclude? What else is he left with? So we look at verse 8. Abraham says that God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they went on together. It's a beautiful story because it goes on. Abraham builds up the mountain. Or the, 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 the um, altar. Isaac gets bound up on top of it. The knife is even raised over his head. 
the angel of the Lord intervened. A ram's provided and the ram is sacrificed. It's an intense episode. I was in two minds whether they even put the kids clip on. You know, it's not... It's intense. I couldn't imagine with my own kids, every time I hold them, having something like that asked of me. It pushes you to the point like Abraham gets to where it's really on a knife's edge, quite literally. But what's going on here? That's God's testing. That's God's testing. The God who is faithful tests us. He tests us. He does it because it refines us. Verse 12, it is established that Abraham's faith is legitimate. And do you know what? As Christians, as New Testament, Jesus-believing Christians, the writer of Hebrews told us that this is for us to model our faith, uh, our lives on. Hebrews chapter 11, 17 to 19, this is what he says. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He, who had embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham had reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is not just some antiquated Old Testament story. The writer of Hebrews wants us to understand as we look at these examples of faith that this is for us. And it pushes us to that point where we realise that faith is not about the quality of faith, it is about the object of faith. It's not about how much faith we've got going on that we're mustering up, but who the faith is in. And the awesome thing is that as that faith is grown, we grow. And what we grow in is, it's not just the quality of our faith, but it's, it's the understanding of just how significant the object of our faith is. You might liken it to finding yourself, imagine for some, I don't know, this is a bit, bit random, okay, but imagine you've ejected out of an, uh, an aeroplane. I'm sorry if you've got a fear of flying or heights or anything like that, but I'm going to freak you out for a bit. And you've got the parachute on and you've come down and you've, it's gently caught you and you've found yourself land firm on something but it's so high up that you're still among the clouds. And you look down and you can't, the clouds are so thick around your legs, you can't even see what it is you're standing on. And you stand there and it doesn't matter how much effort you put into standing, it's not your standing that's holding you up, it's whatever you're standing on. But as the clouds dissipate, it's a bit far-fetched, I know, but imagine this is happening. As the clouds dissipate, you start to see what firm a footing you're actually on. 
And what you imagined in your mind was this little peak of a little cleft of a mountain was actually a massive, solid foundation that as the clouds disappear, mate, you can run and jump on that thing because it's solid. The object of our faith is our heavenly Father who sent his Son. Abraham could reason that God could raise the dead. We know that God has raised the dead. We live under the lordship of a risen Lord Jesus. A resurrected Lord Jesus. Abraham had no flipping idea how it was going to work out, but he knew who was calling him to it. In Christ, God has asked you to repent of your past, to accept forgiveness for that. We're asked to take off our old self. We're asked to leave the path or the road or the life that we're on. And that's what happened when we came to Christ. Maybe that was formed in our childhood. Maybe that happened in a, in a really clear moment in our teenage years. Maybe that happened at some point further on in your life, maybe as a spouse led it that way or a friend or whatever, but whatever has happened, that is where we've come from. But in living for Christ, God asked us to let go of our future because it's in his hands. We don't need to make heaven for ourselves. We don't need to devote our life to making life comfortable or peaceable or anything like that. Because our life, when we have, are living by faith, means that we're recognizing that that stuff is in God's hands and it's in God's hands and they're the best hands that it can be in. You need to let go of something. What do you need to let go of? As testing comes from God, it's probably going to be around that. What you need to let go of. And so after all this, God reiterates to Abraham his promised blessing. And the way that it comes this time is, is awesome. Pick up in verse 16, back in Genesis chapter 22. Verse 16, the angel of the Lord came to Abraham from heaven a second time. Verse 16, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. God is now swearing this promise. He's, he's making an oath to him. No more pr just like promises, no more like it's beyond that now. Those things, are the, they're there, they're set. God is giving his absolute word. And the way that it's said here, it sounds like a celebration. It's, it's the test has been passed. What do you do at the end of school when all the tests are over? You celebrate, you have a graduation. If you you know, went to a, um, a university or something, you throw that funny hat up in the air. 
What's going on here? And what are we celebrating? That Abraham himself will not even stand in God's way. His earlier antics, they threatened things all over the place. Now, they never really threatened God fulfilling his plan. But what he was acting, if God didn't intervene, that's the way that he was going. Look at verse 17 and 18. God says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Often we think of heaven as the... the um, what we get for trusting in Jesus, or, or kind of more so where God wants to take us. But there's times where the, the New Testament talks about heaven as a reward, and it's not to reward you on your performance, but it is spoken about in those terms. Let's take one example. Philippians 3.14 tells us, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's not an earned reward, but it is a final vindication, a recognition of the perseverance that has happened in your life. It's awesome to see. I swear by myself, says God. And do you know what? That's not the end of what verse 18 tells us. There our translation gives us the word offspring. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. But really, that's more like the word seed. This idea that there's, there's this ongoing thing that is passed from generation to generation. Going right back to the promise to Eve that she would bear a son. Since that first sin... God in his mercy has not taken life from a person as sacrifice. There's times where it happens as judgment, like in the time of Noah, like we learned about a few weeks ago in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But that was not sacrifice to pay for sin, that was judgment on sin. God, in fact, has preserved life because there would be one, the seed of this promise, who would come and pay that ultimate price. John the Baptist, when Jesus turned up on the scene in John 1, 29, he just makes it so easy for us to see this as the big picture. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and look at what he calls him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What do we see here? In the big picture of the big story, God provides the lamb. He provides from his own family, his own son, to be the one that would be there. Like I said before, the quality of our faith is not the thing that saves us, it's the object of our faith. And ultimately, this is it. The sacrifice, the one who would go in there and atone for us. 
You know why Isaac didn't die? It's not because it would have, you know, made a pretty brutal image. It's not because it wouldn't make a good kid, you know, make it an unsuitable kid story. That's not why. It's not because it would confuse us about what God's like and make him appear to be some kind of tyrant. Isaac didn't need to die for the same reason that you don't need to die to pay for your sins because Jesus would. Because Jesus did. And so, one last place to look. The more that we've studied these just, what, 10 chapters in Genesis, the more that you find these things littered throughout the New Testament. And so we're going to finish in James this afternoon because this really drives home what faith results in in our lives. James uses this Abraham story to drive home faith for us. As faith grows, it's expressed, it's proved real, it's refined when it's acted out. In James chapter uh, 2, verse 22, we pick up. You see that speaking of Abraham and Isaac, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Verse 23 tells us, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. The scripture that was fulfilled is only happened back in chapter 15 of Genesis. It's only earlier in Abraham's life. But that's the thing, isn't it? This gives us a picture of our life lived in the promises of God. Not to earn the promises of God. Not to retain the promises of God but expressing the reality of the promises of God. Faith doesn't exist where someone merely agrees that something is true or probable or or something like that. Faith is evidenced as it's genuinely having a transforming effect over a person's life. It's the overflow of works. Not works that save you, but that show you the power of God's promises in your own life. So, when we understand that faith proves itself in works, and we understand that God gives us tests to prove that our faith is true, as he declares to us clearly in the gospel that our past is dealt with and he tests us and asks us to say let go of your future because I've got it we've got to think what tests is God lovingly sending our way to prove that our faith is What is God putting in your path right now? So before I pray for us, I want to invite you to shut your eyes and reflect on that.
And then I'll close and pray for us in just a moment. Jesus, you are our Lord, you are our God, you are our King. Lord, we know that our future is in your hands. Lord, make us people that live consistently with that truth. And Lord, as you intervene and interact with us in our life, Lord, As you bring trials our way, Lord, we rest on the promise that you bring to completion the good work that you start in us. Lord, we rest on the promise that you never give us anything that we can't bear. Lord, we rest on the promise that you are with us to the very end of the age. Lord, we rest on the promise that your people will be as numerous as stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Such is your abundant grace. And Lord, we just ask for the transforming work of your grace and mercy, Lord, to continue to shape our lives. Lord, the way that we see it shaped in Abraham's life. And Lord, even into our old age, we ask that we would never consider ourselves to have arrived. Lord, we know that even Abraham at this point hadn't arrived. Lord, that it's only in glory that we are fully conformed to the likeness of your son. But Lord, we, we just love the fruit of the way that that happens now. Lord, build us up, and we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.